0: Welcome to the Chosen Brew Podcast. This is the podcast where guests talk the way through the six beers that changed everything. I'm your host, Ian McNally. And in this episode, I spoke to Scott Hunt, who is from the newest arrival on the beer scene in Geelong, Valhalla Brewing, which has got a great bar in Union Street. Let's get into it. Well, welcome to Scott Hunt from Valhalla. Thanks, Ian. Now, uh, I've travelled down to Geelong today, and it is a beautiful day. And down a side street, Union Street, just off the main shopping centre here, I'm sitting in this little gem. Can you describe what it is?
1: <laughs> uh, thanks, Ian. So, uh, so the little gem was, is uh, the Valhalla Taproom, uh, which we opened uh, two weeks ago yesterday. So, uh, brand new, but uh, it's been a good two weeks, and uh, yeah, this is a, a long-held dream of my wife and I to, to have our own bar, and more particularly uh, since we started brewing our own beer with Valhalla uh, in the last two to three years as well. And so, we're recording this
0: just in the weekend before Christmas, and this episode w- will be about four weeks old, so you'll be a veteran of the, uh, yeah. <laughs> of the Geelong beer scene. I'll have certainly learned a lot more than I have already, so... Yeah. <laughs> so Let's talk about Valhalla first, yep. and we'll talk about the taproom a little bit later on, but tell me about how Valhalla started, because it's um, one of the words that has been fashionable, not just, I suppose, in beer, but in general society, is the notion of crowdfunding. Yes. And yep. tell tell us how that actually works. What's the nut, nuts and bolts, and how did it work out for you? Okay, so,
1: uh, yeah, so we crowdfunded our first two beer releases, Um uh, so Valhalla was started really as a bit of a hobby business for me. I've had businesses in two other industries. This is about my sixth business, um, all small businesses, um, nothing major, but uh, but I've always liked working for myself. So for about the last 16 years, I've worked for myself. Uh, and I was getting a bit sick and tired of the industries I was working in, and um, it was time for something a bit of fun. And I'd been homebrewing for a long time, Um I was a couple of mates bought me my first homebrew kit when I was for my twenty first, so I'd been dabbling in it for for many years, and I'd I'd been pretty serious about it about the, for for about the three years prior to starting Valhalla, but I'd seen the Gypsy Brewing model, and uh, I, I'd talked to people about the Gypsy Brewing model, and it just seemed like a good fit. I just um, really it was just it was just to have some fun, you know, and. Um, and uh and and then the crowdfunding model seemed like a good idea to reach out and uh, get some people involved in the start of valhalla and uh we raised not not a huge amount of money but enough to to launch our first two uh gypsy brood batches yeah so what's interesting
0: for the crowdfunding because it's really popular for um people to try and get things off the ground and the vast majority don't yeah. and so to actually get it off the ground is impressive in the first instance but the spinoff for crowdfunding and the benefit is that you all of a sudden have all these people with vested interest yep. and they become evangelists for the business and Absolutely. all of the conversations that they have wherever they go they're going to mention the brand. Has that
1: worked out as, as you expected? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things we did, which I think was probably the best thing we did with the crowdfunding, was uh, if you paid the top level of uh, crowdfunding support, so the top pledge, uh, you got your name on the, on the beer can. And so that's there forever. So our Obsidian uh, Black IPA, which was the, our first release, and our Aragon West Coast IPA, which was our second release, uh, there's um, five or six names on the side of each of those cans. Uh, and they'll be there forever. So those beers we're committed to brewing forever, um, as as our two core beers. And uh, and yeah, so so yeah, the, they definitely have a vested interest because they're printed on the can. Uh, and but yeah, of course, uh, everyone who committed any amount of money, no matter how small, uh, you know, interest in the Valhalla story now. And black IPA for the
0: first release. Uh, you've you, I know you're a listener to the show, so yeah. you would have heard us talk about how. Black IPA has fallen in and out of fashion and yeah. it, it hasn't really got a stronghold in in the markets. Yeah. But I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it. It was a bold beer to to yeah. start off with. And what was something like 6.8% or yeah. even, yeah, something.
1: Yeah, looking. look, I know uh, as well as anyone um, and a part of the, the beer business story beyond Valhalla, uh, we'll explain that you know as we go on, but um, I, so I know as well as anyone that black IPA is not a fashionable beer at the moment. Uh, as I said earlier, Valhalla was about having a bit of fun and doing something I, I loved and was passionate about, uh, and you know we'll talk about it the the six beers later, and and one of those beers will probably explain uh, why I started with a black IPA. But it was just a beer, a style at that time that I really loved. It brought together. All the things I loved in beer at the time and it was popular at the time but that's not why I chose it. It was more just because it was the beer I loved. It was the recipe I was doing as a homebrew recipe that I just nailed um, and when we and it's the beer that we've nailed pretty much every time whereas all our other beers has taken a bit of work you know we've developed them over time and uh, you know it's taken a bit of a few batches to get them the recipes right but um, but the black IPA, the Obsidian, was the the one, you know, and um, it's not, it's called a black IPA because I guess you have to put things in a, in a box to explain them simply, but it's probably a lot more roasty. It's quite, I, I typically call it a black ale because it's uh, it does have that hoppy character that a black IPA does, but it is a little um, more roasty than a typical black IPA. Well, I think it's wonderful to, <laughs> to to go so bold so early. Yep.
0: And in the spirit of the name, Valhalla, yep, exactly. tell us about how you arrived at the name. Yep. And um, for those not familiar with uh, Norse mythology, yep. tell us
1: what it means. Yep. Oh, it's a real talking point here in the bar and, 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 and with the, the brewing business in general. But um, uh, so, I again, I started Valhalla as a bit of fun, you know, and I'd had businesses in other industries where... I'd chosen a name that would suit the market and when I looked to do something in the craft beer industry, I thought, well, I can do whatever the hell I want, you know, because it, it was an industry that was creative and and while it's hard work, it had some real fun elements to it and I felt that I could be more expressive about my Personal tastes and interests um, than I had been in the past. So, I'd studied mythology back in uni days. So I've always had a, a strong interest in mythology, particularly Greek. But so we looked for a name for the brewery, and we couldn't find anything relative in Greek. So we looked at the Norse, and 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 Valhalla just seemed perfect because uh, for those who don't watch Vikings <laughs> <laughs> uh, or don't understand, uh, they haven't come across um, Norse mythology. Uh, Valhalla is the to put it simply, the Viking concept of heaven. So the Viking warriors believed that when they died, if they died in battle or with a sword in their hand, they'd go to, they'd go to Valhalla, which was the hall, the great hall of Odin. Um, and if Odin accepted you into Valhalla, you'd spend the rest of eternity with all your mates, um, drinking, telling stories, fighting Feasting, all of that, all of the good things that Vikings love. So I thought uh, drinking beer and, and telling stories for the rest of your tourney sound like a really good idea for a brewing or for a brewery or a bar. Yeah. Your description as well just sounds like a Saturday night in Geelong. Yeah, so, pretty <laughs> so much. It's yeah, fine. Yeah.
0: So uh, starting off when you first brew that first beer, did you already have your eye on opening a tap room to showcase that beer? Or when did that idea come into Kind of your minds, and then you start working on it.
1: Yeah, well, like I said, we, um, my wife and I wanted to open a bar 16 years ago, so we we travelled extensively in 2000, 2001 throughout Europe, uh, and we've we, we've seen uh, some fantastic bars in Europe and Ireland, and, and we really wanted to replicate something along those lines when we got back to Australia. So we we um, so we both grew up in Bendigo, but uh, we lived we moved. To Perth when we got back from overseas in two thousand and one, two thousand and two, uh, and and Perth was a little backwards back then when it comes to the bar scene. I should say <laughs> I'll qualify that. But uh, well, it is
0: the world's most isolated city. It is, so and, 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 and they do think the things legal licensing
1: and laws were pretty draconian back there. They may still be, uh, but they were they were they made it pretty difficult to have a sort of funky late night bar. So we wanted to bring that kind of Melbourne European kind of bar scene into Perth. Um, we had some great ideas, we had a name for the bar, we even found a shop, but then um, our daughter came along and we decided the timing wasn't right. So we put it off and then went into other things. I started a, a, a business in another industry and we just kind of, life took over. <laughs> so so it's always been there. and um, And with Valhalla, it became a commercial necessity in some ways. And it wasn't long after... Starting Valhalla, that I realised that we needed a retail margin, um, particularly with the gypsy brewing model. There's there's no margin, and uh, it's a competitive market. Um, so, it was about being able to create a sustainable business, but also about creating a space that that summed up what what our journey was, or what we wanted people to experience when they're drinking our beers. Yeah,
0: and I think uh, you hit the nail on the head in terms of people have lots of people out there have the dreams of making their own beer and upscaling their home brew and beer styles they've nailed and they think they possibly taste better than what's out there yeah but fighting for tap space fighting for shelf space is extraordinarily difficult yep but not on your own venue yeah (laughs) well that's (laughs) right
1: i mean it still has to be good beer don't get me wrong it still has to meet all those all that criteria it has to be good quality it has to be uh, it has to meet styles that people want to drink. Um, it has to be consistent. It has to be all of that because people won't come back. But it does it, it does give you control over the taps. And Geelong in particular is a very, very difficult town to get taps in. Uh, it's almost impossible, which is why Blackman started their own brew bar here. Um, and why, the, it, it, unfortunately, Geelong, the Geelong pub scene just doesn't support local breweries. And there's some great local breweries, so it's a real shame. But... Um, you know the tap contracts really do rule in this town um, so yeah it becomes a, a necessity um, but you know the great I, I just the one thing I particularly love about owning a brewing business and having your own beers is seeing that the joy people get out of drinking a beer you know the black IPA for example they go you know they, they try and they just go wow that's that's fantastic you know and and yeah that that's what makes it all worthwhile so to do it in your own venue where people love the atmosphere as well that that just tops it off you know and the beauty is as well you're controlling all the
0: controllables uh, uh, you yep. you know you're in control of everything here it's our music yeah yeah our, yeah. That's <laughs> our lighting yeah, it's yes, our vibe yeah. you know yeah uh,
1: it's not completely controllable i mean we had 20 drunk guys walking last night at about 9 30 and uh, they'd been at the pub over the road and they'd obviously been on a christmas breakup and it got pretty rowdy for a while, so. But you know, you can't con- completely control it. But that's the nature of bars and alcohol and 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 that sort of thing. And but um, but that's also the fun of it as well. And the, uh, you know, we're like, like we said, we're only open two weeks, so we've got a lot of things to learn about running a bar or owning our own bar, uh, and about the Geelong Geelong town and and um, the ebb and flow of people on a on a Friday and Saturday night or on a week night. Um. When people want to come in, what they want to drink, what you know, the different people that come in, and so on. So, um, but we, you know, I love being here in Geelong as opposed to Torquay, which is where we live and where we originally wanted to set up the bar, because I I think we want to encourage uh, a regular crowd. We want to encourage all year round regular crowd where people keep coming back, and then within two weeks, we're already seeing people come back three, four times because I just love the space and they like having to be here so I think Torquay beautiful town it's seasonal it is it's uh, and
0: that comes with its stresses and strains as well whereas Geelong is a a lot more steady Um, but I also think that uh, you'll find your crowd and the crowd will find you as well and, and the first two weeks first month probably the first six months people still not have heard of it will still be um oh what's this place yeah. they'll they'll come in they'll find it and then you find your own crowd and it creates takes on a life of its own as yeah. well so it's a really uh it's really exciting and you also get to do market research just yeah. by virtue of what sells on the tap absolutely what customers tell you what they like whether yep. you start brewing something else stop brewing another thing you'll
1: I probably I also have a bit of a head start on that because um about a year after we started uh, Valhalla I started Lotus Beer Collective which is a wholesale distribution business and so uh, and that, that business just went nuts like it was originally started to support Valhalla um, I was out there selling beers and I had a a 6.3% IPA and a 6.8% black IPA. And uh, so my market was limited down here on the coast. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I, I talked to a couple of other was brewers. It a case of people saying, it's that guy back again? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We really, <laughs> really don't want a beans. 6.3%, you know, 80 IBU uh, West Coast IPA, thanks. <laughs> uh, but uh, so I talked to a couple other breweries that, and, um, and they said, well, why don't you sell our beers while you're selling yours? So I had a broad, broader range. And then it just grew from there. So um, I think we, I think the business model was the right place at the right time. Um, and now we've got some fantastic, some of some of the best breweries, in my opinion, in Australia, and on our portfolio. Um, you know, two full time staff plus myself, and that's all kind of happened almost by accident. So. Um, and I don't want to make—I don't want to be flippant and make it sound like we don't take it seriously. We take it very seriously as a business, but um, it's just the way it's happened. So, so we we do see every day what sort of beers people are wanting, and cans are a perfect example of that. You know, I started when I started Valhalla. I was like, well, I'm going to put in 500ml bottles, and I don't care if people don't want to buy it; they don't want to buy it. But then I started realizing, okay, now I've got to go down to 330s because nobody wants 500ml bottles anymore. So, and then uh, the cans came along, and then. Uh, we soon realised that we had to put our beers in cans or we just weren't going to sell them. And now as a distributor, we also know that we just, uh, we can't sell bottles, basically. Unless it's something, you know, super good or super rare or whatever, but uh, everyone's cans. The retailers want cans because their customers want cans, you know. So the retailers know if they buy something in a bottle, it'll take longer to move than the can next to it. That's
0: an extraordinary sea change, isn't it? Yeah. You know, five years ago even, people wanted a bottle because bottles look nicer on a restaurant table. Yeah. Yeah. they, You know, it's just they seem more sophisticated in some way. Yeah, Tinnies were always kind of seen as as lower class, if you like. Well,
1: we have some retailers who just won't buy bottles. You know, it doesn't matter how good the beer is and they're, they're not stocking some amazing beers simply because they know the bottles take longer to move. I mean, there are still some restaurants that prefer bottles, um, but then they also miss out on great beers, because most of the great beers are going into cans now, so <laughs> yeah, so we've got to convince restaurants to use cans, and we've got to convince everyone else, uh, our brewers, to um, to go into cans as well, so yeah. Well, you're here to talk your way through six beers that changed everything, so yep. we'll get started. Sure. Uh, choice one. Okay, so choice one. I'm not sure if anyone's had this on your podcast before, but I, I, they may have, um, and again, it's not a beer that I particularly drink now but it is it probably was it's a good symbol of um my experience of beer changing so i grew up in bendigo as i said before uh bendigo was a typical country town back then it's got a great craft beer scene now but back then um many years ago it was uh, just a typical country town and you drank basically you drank Carlton draft out of the tap, and you drank VB out of the stubby, and that was it. Otherwise, you're a weirdo, or you know. And there's a bit of Coopers around, but only the arty farty's drank that, you know. So, <laughs> which there are a few of in Bendigo. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there are now. It but great they art gallery so back then. <laughs> but, um, so, um, uh, so yeah. So, uh, so that was that was my knowledge of beer. If you wanted to be a bit different, you drink Melbourne. You know, that was the extent of it. Um, so, uh, as I said, my wife and I traveled overseas for a year and a half in 2000, 2001. Of course, we got to, to Ireland and I wasn't a dark beer drinker particularly, but um, in fact, I, I hardly drank it at all. I might've had a two years old from uh, occasionally when we, when I um, stayed up in Sydney for a while, but um, we went to the Guinness factory, of course. So we went to the Guinness tour, got to the end of the tour and had a, a pint of Guinness and uh, I thought, wow, this is really good. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of I didn't think I liked dark beer. Uh, I'd never had a Guinness before, and I just thought this is fantastic. So. And from St. James's Gate. Yep. Yeah. It's
0: And we've, we have talked about this on a podcast before, yep. previous guests, about how we're reassured that Guinness is no different in Australia than what it is in Ireland <clears> if you're getting it from the tap yep. at St. James's Gate. It's the same product. Yeah. But it's
1: not. It's not. <laughs> it's so, uh, look, I, I know, uh, you know, it could be that holiday beer thing, you know, that holiday beer experience, you know, if you're sitting on a beach in Bali and you're drinking bintang, maybe it tastes okay, I don't know, I've never done <laughs> it, no, I probably never will, but but yeah, it was It was an experience. But then we travelled throughout Ireland and continued to drink Guinness and it was just great. And... and you know, went in Rome, that sort of thing, but it was just... And then you go head down south towards Cork and they drink Murphy's rather than that northern... You know, we don't drink that northern stuff, you know, down here, so... um, And then... So when we got back to Australia, we we went and lived in Perth and Perth, of course, you know, some people may want to correct me on this, but I think Perth is the birthplace of the craft beer scene in Australia as far as uh, what was happening with Little Creatures and with Matilda Bay. Um, And so... The experience of drinking Guinness and Murphy's in uh, Ireland opened me up to trying other things when I got back to Perth. So, you know, we'd go to the Queen's um, uh, in Mount Lawley and drink, you know, Rooftop Red or um, the, the Brass Monkey Pub in Northbridge had a, a beautiful Stout, Brass Monkey Stout. Uh, you'd go down to Anchor and Anchor in Fremantle and drink the beers there. So um, that's, pro- that's where the craft beer journey began. Really? Yeah, yeah. And
0: I think there's just something about uh particularly in Ireland the the dominance of yeah. Guinness.
1: Yeah.
0: Everywhere like maybe uh, maybe if you go today you'll see much more uh, like I know lager has kind of dominated for younger people yeah. and Guinness is kind of seen as an older person's thing. But certainly you know 20 years ago you'd go into uh, any pub in Ireland and you know 70 80% of people drinking Yeah. Guinness, man, woman, a child. Yeah, <laughs> Guinness. Yeah, and a lot th- the beauty in Ireland about it, and this is a lesson probably in hospitality. If anything else, is the theatre. Yeah, how they sell it. Yeah, they don't just. They really think about how they're pouring it. They yeah. really think about how it looks. Yeah, how it finishes off. Yeah. Whether there's too big a head or not it's because they know it's going to get sent back because yeah. everybody in Ireland thinks they're an expert on yeah. how to pour
1: Guinness I, I, so I'm not sure there's a beer in the world that has a, that is so culturally significant to one country um you know i of course there's there's beers that are iconic in a country but I, as far as one single beer for one country I don't think that anything quite matches Guinness and like it or not uh, you know the story of Guinness and, and its connection to Irish to, to Ireland and Irish history and the way they market it as, as such a historical part of the country as well uh it's quite incredible and uh, it's quite an incredible story i it's about 4 years 5 5 years ago uh, my wife and daughter and i went to uh we traveled in in, in um we we're over in London and uh went down to a little Irish bar i think it was off Leicester Square in London uh with the uh, with um, friends of ours he took us down in this dark, dingy little Irish bar, and there was a much bigger Irish bar upstairs, but he took us downstairs, and I hadn't had Guinness in ages, because I drank it in Australia, and it just, it, it really isn't the same, it, It's the same, <laughs> it, it is, it, it's, we've been told it's yeah, the same. Yeah, well, it doesn't seem the same, it doesn't feel the same, it doesn't <laughs> seem to taste the same, so um, so we are drinking it there, and I was loving it, and again, maybe the holiday beer thing, uh, but we drank, I don't know, six or eight pints of it, you know, and just had a great afternoon and i said to the, the the owner of the bar i said how come this tastes so much better here and he said simply that we just go through so much of it; it's so fresh we go through 30 kids a week between that little bar and the bar up the big one upstairs uh, and it's just constantly super fresh so I, I think there is a difference even if it's just the freshness of it whereas you know in australia you know they w- couldn't sell that much guinness um some pubs might but um you know but but going back to the connection to the Irish culture and history, you know, even just St. Pat's Day celebrations here in Australia, there's there's people who drink Guinness on St. Pat's Day and never drink it any other day of the year, so it, it is essentially an Irish uh, thing. And I'm sure there, are, I know there are plenty of Irish craft brewers who would love to move away from that, um, but you know, it's just it is what it is, I suppose. I think if you're a craft brewer in Ireland, you just have to embrace it. Yeah. You just
0: have to accept that that is a part of the Irish history, the dominance, um, and there are advantages to to it as yeah. well as, you know, seeing them as a... And, and I know Guinness, uh, uh, on one of previous episodes, uh, Greg McElheron um, talked about, you know, how the Guinness reps would go around to new pubs and scope them out and... Yeah um one that porterhouse that wasn't selling guinness wasn't going to sell guinness and yep. they were, said you've got three months before you close down because you don't sell guinness yeah and laughed at them and walked out allegedly yeah <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. they're still there yeah. um so it's a it is a fascinating um beer and a fascinating story and a great first choice as well so choice two
1: so choice two uh and this brewery features twice in my l- list of six, so it has had a significant impact. Um, uh, and despite, you know, maybe some people being turned away from it with the recent um, takeover or purchase, um, it, it, it is a significant brewery in the uh, in the Australian beer landscape. And a- another one from Perth. So when we lived in Perth, we used to go out to Feral Brewery in the Swan Valley and loved it. It was such a great setup out there. And, um... Uh, and it was probably at that time because up till then i don't think we'd ever been to a brewery like that where you would typically you go to a winery and you sit out there and you'd overlook the, the you know the the landscape and you'd spend an afternoon uh, kids would be running around you know and you'd just have a great afternoon on a beautiful day drinking wine whereas Feral had that same setup for beer and i hadn't come across that before um, but Probably this beer, being Hop Hog, um, was probably more later when I moved back to Victoria and drinking in Melbourne. It was a it was a beer that I'd come across that I went, wow, that's just that is a style of beer I love. You know, it was hoppy, it was bitter, uh, it was higher alcohol. You'd drink it, it you know, and it was. it was just a, a stunning beer.
0: Aromatic, the yeah. aroma of it, yeah, just hit you, yeah, straight Absolutely. off the It was, yeah. yeah, yeah, really special.
1: So you walk into a pub and it would be on tap, and you you'd, you'd order a pint of it, and your mates have all ordered Carlton Draft, uh, and you just think, thank God, this is on tap here. You know, I don't have to, <laughs> I don't have to, um, uh, I don't have to drink a pint of Carlton Draft, you know, pints of Carlton Draft all <laughs> afternoon, um, and and it really uh, probably what you know, made me fall in love with the West Coast IPA style, which is um, you know, probably my still still my favourite style of beer. And yeah. um
0: that is Aragon in you've brewed in that style. In
1: our yeah, yeah, in our range it's Aragon, yeah.
0: And so that was an easy decision to kind of get to. That was that was going to be your yeah. second beer. Yeah, absolutely. And what I really like about um the can design for both beers is this yeah. kind of geometric yeah kind of um there's a real kind of attractiveness to it almost like a sophisticated design i feel like you, the, the tap room here has, has got a similar kind of sophisticated, sophistication sophistication yeah. and uh, a really nice kind of um it's uncomplicated yeah. but it's got depth yeah so how did you arrive at that as
1: so i was a graphic designer, designer. for Sixteen years before I got into real estate, which is what I was in before I got into beer. So, um, so I I save myself money and do my own d- designs, which is nice. <laughs> um, but look, I, I at the time I I just really loved that geometric, um, simple geometric design. I knew we needed to do something that was a bit different. Um, I wanted a a label that was clean, neat, and simple, and sort of signified quality. Um, and at the time, as I said, we we're putting in 500 ml bottles and then into the smaller bottles and i, I it just it just worked as a, a really nice clean, simple design as a design I always like nice clean simple I think um over-complicated design makes makes the message you you're trying to tell too difficult um, to to understand so um, keeping design simple is really important so I guess it's just it's just comes from my taste I suppose and my my um attitude towards design and how things should look. I think it's really smart as well because you
0: could, you know, you assume a brewery, um, a beer called Valhalla, that you're automatically going to have a a bloke with a hat on with horns coming out. And that's what I did (laughs) not want to do. Yeah, that was
1: always like, we're not going to have biking, like, Corny Viking pitches on all our beers, or call them after, or you know, Viking things, gods. Or I mean, we we have Freya Moon, which is named after a Viking goddess, but that's the only beer that has a specific direct reference to to Viking mythology. The name, I, like I said, I, I thought was a great name for a brewery. It it it, it was a uh, representative of my interest in mythology. But everything else, it, uh, you know, comes from our other interests, whether it be music or. Uh, whether it be literature or film or art. So, and again, that was what I loved about working in the craft beer space is that we could do that, you know. Uh, we could we could create a brand, we could create beers that represent our, our own passions and our own sort of interests rather than having to do something that catered specifically for a market, you know. I think what's really coming through strongly, Scott, is the the that, and I don't
0: think this is talked about enough, is the freedom and the level of creativity that craft beer lends itself yeah. to, and I think it really comes through with what you're saying and, and your passion yeah. to kind of not have any chains to be able to really express yourself yeah. and have fun. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's, there's heaps of stresses and yeah. concerns and. You know, it helps that you've had experience running a small business, and this is not your first. Like a lot of people, would be getting into the beer game, and it's their first small business. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, as a child, yeah. I always wanted a guitar. Yeah. But I knew that if I got a guitar, I'll play it for six weeks and then I forget about it. Yeah. Do you ever fear that your creativity in craft beer is going to be like just a, a fad? And then you're going to kind of yeah. ha- uh, have it, you're going to yeah. expel all your ideas and then yeah. you're going to be, oh, I'll move on to something else. Yeah. Or do you see it as kind well, of... Well, if you ask my that
1: wife then... that question, I know what the answer will be because I do have a history of losing interest in things. <laughs> uh, I do have a short attention span and um, I do get bored easily. So I do have a history, but I think we're in balls and all at the moment. I don't think we're, uh, I don't think we're in a position just to walk away from this, for one. And for two... Um, like I said, I've been in business for myself in a long long time when I haven't been able to be there's been an element of creativity in the way we've branded the businesses and the way we've created the business, but um, there's not been the creative creativity that I've craved because you know i I started off you know uh, I guess my journey being a creative person who was into you know music and literature and and art and film and kind of fell into the small business mold. And particularly being in real estate, you know, where I mean, you can see me now. You you probably struggle to see me as a real estate agent, but I had the suit and I had the short hair, and you know, I had to shave every day. And you know, now I can go to business meetings in in jeans and a t-shirt. You know, I can grow my hair long again. You know, it's uh, I just feel more comfortable and at ease with being who I am rather than trying to fit a mold because that's what that industry expects. Um, so, uh, yeah. So no, I, I think um, you know we're definitely here to stay because it's it's a great passion. It's great. It's great fun. And it, look, we could, I with, I could quite easily create a brand that had a really clean, simple, like a a, a, a design that was geared around going into the chain stores, uh, and we could push that model. We could brew beers that were a little more closer to not not so much mainstream but a little bit more broad appeal um but that's not what i'm in it for so uh i don't i have no interest in getting my beers on the shelves of the of the major liquor chains um if it happens i don't know it happens i suppose but it's not it's just not something i'm aiming for you know that's that's the beauty of having the our own space to sell the beer in as well i suppose yeah. scott i can't tell you how much happiness it fills me that we're here on a Saturday
0: morning recording this in your tap room and you're not walking the streets with a short haircut in a suit <laughs> uh, with a little A-frame in the back yeah. of your car yeah. to uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to Believe me, there's
1: plenty of my mates that were very surprised when I went into real estate, but it was, it was fun. Like, it was fun for a while, but... Uh, I, yeah, I'm not here to, to bag out the real estate industry. <laughs> I, <laughs> leave, I run leave that my to me. <laughs> there. I run my course. <laughs> no, you're in a better place now. Absolutely, uh, definitely. So, choice three. Uh, so, choice three, again, another feral beer. And um, we spoke about the Obsidian I Brewed a Black IPA, and it was probably because of this beer. This, is, this beer introduced me to the style, uh, and it's Karma Citra. Um, I remember the first time I had it, and... Uh, I just thought wow now that is a beer I like because I like dark beers and I like toppy beers and I thought this is both all in one glass and I thought this is this is this is it um, i've had karma citrus since and it is quite different from the obsidian and it 's a lot thinner on the palate which is what a typical black IPA would be and I, like I said ours is a lot more roasty but it was yeah it just really was that beer that turned me onto that style which of course made me want to brew the beer which made me develop the recipe for obsidian which was the first beer we did commercially so because the black ipa as a style for me is just a lot of fun
0: yep. it's complex it's confusing yeah it's looks at one thing tastes another yeah it's that for me is what i want yeah. it's like something to think about excitement yep um tell us about the kind of ingredients that you're using in your black ipa
1: uh so <laughs> Funny enough, for all our beers, except the Black IPA, we've changed recently to use exclusively Voyager malts um, from the Riverina in New South Wales. Um, I love dealing with a small family-owned business where I can ring the owner up and, and talk to him about recipes or, or, you know, have that level of relationship and and being an Australian-owned business as well. So I, I, I love that. Um, but even... Stu from Voyager said to me, don't change that recipe. So, um, so we still use uh, malt from all around the place, really, for that, that recipe. But there is a lot of hops in it as well. And, and so Obsidian, compared to, say, Karma Citra, drinks like a stout as far as mouthfeel and, uh, and the roastiness and the chocolate notes in it. But it has that hoppy, citrusy, hoppy character kind of balance it out, which makes it a very smooth and easy-drinking beer. Um, so you get the best of both worlds, um, and at six point eight percent, it can be pretty dangerous. You know, it sneaks up on you. <laughs> and so, what has
0: been the reaction to? Uh, you must have had people in the last two weeks come and try. They've probably never had black IPA before.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, which is why I, I typically just call it a black ale, mm. and it's on the board as a black ale. I, it just, um, it's, it's too difficult for people who don't don't understand the style or who aren't necessarily craft beer uh, drinkers to explain it to them. So they say, you know, the first question is, is it like Guinness? You know, is it a stout? Is it like Guinness? And I say, well, no, but, you know, it kind of drinks like a stout, but it has a nice sort of citrusy character to it to balance it out. And then they just try it and they they, they love it. Yeah, yeah. And look, we find a lot of, I don't know, this might be, this is stereotyping, of course, but a lot of older blokes who might like a, who like a dark beer, when they come up to us at festivals, um, country festivals or beer f- mostly sort of non-beer festivals, um, uh, you know, because they might not be there for... They're not there for craft beer. They're just there because it's a country festival. And they'll come up and, and they'll, they'll ask exactly that question and they'll try and they go, oh, yeah, that's delicious, you know. So, so people who are not craft beer drinkers... Uh, and I've had people who say to me, I don't like dark beer... But they drink that and then they sit on it all, they end up drinking it all night. So it's it's a it's a pretty broad. Despite what people might think of black IPAs, it's a pretty broad appealing beer.
0: Yeah, see, it's, it's, it's exciting, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> the yeah. style is
1: absolutely exciting. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, choice four. Okay, so choice four is a local beer, um, and uh, my local and and our local um, well one of our local brewers now in Torquay uh, from Blackman's Brewery, uh, it's the Reginald IPA. So, again, we'll go back to that love of a West Coast IPA style and um, it, while I'd, you know, we'd obviously had Hop hop-hog before and, and others, um, being able to walk into the brewery and sit down and have a pint of that was was really a great experience and another, another you know, encouragement for me to... Um, look towards opening our own brewery, which we eventually we will do. And um, this, the bar here, is a stepping stone. But but having our own space where we can serve our own beer, um, and Reg is yeah, it's just a great beer. You know, it's it's um, is probably uh, a little bit more malt character to it than perhaps people expect out of a West Coast IPA style now. But that's because the style in Australia has developed away from what it originally was, which did have a good you know. Malt backbone, backbone um, really good level of bitterness, um, you know, lovely stone fruit, citrus characters, just a really great beer. And um, and there's not a lot of good drinking options in Torquay, so to have our local bre- our local brewery down there, to be able to go down, you know, a couple of times a week and have a pint of a, a really good West Coast IPA was... Um, it's it's a bit of a godsend <laughs> down there so um uh, bells beach brewing have just opened down there so there's a bit more choice now but um but that's only been the last couple of weeks so uh yeah and it's a
0: really uh experimental brewery as well with kind of the releases that they've done in, in the past year and particularly the kind of juicy um, lager as well that they yep. put out, yep. and the Angry Reg yep. as well, yep. At, at yep. double IPA. Yep. What was quite interesting about that one is the, the, the labeling where they you know, were saying if, if you're drinking this and it's more than three months old or something, you yeah. shouldn't drink it, or yeah. six months old or whatever it was, you shouldn't drink it. Yep. I, th- I think that's definitely... Um,
1: yeah, a risk. Yeah. <laughs> but and but it, it's true. Yeah. It's, uh, and everything with that style. Black Blackmans do. Like, uh, Ren and Jess are real inspirations, uh, I think, for our industry and certainly our local industry here in sort of Geelong and the surf coast um, because of the way they've gone about it. You know, they've, um, they've really promoted good beer. They've promoted uh, local um, by opening up the tap room, their, their brew bar here in Geelong, They've really paved a way for people like me to do it as well, um, you know, educating people on good beer, and of course, just great beer all the time. They've always had great staff. They've they've been good at choosing good quality staff, um, and it's just yeah, they create a really good environment to drink really good quality beer. So um, yeah, they don't they don't uh, they don't put a foot wrong. So
0: yeah, and I think um, the temptation. Brewing our Torquay would be, as you say, or the you know the taps lockdown in Geelong, taps lockdown all the way down the coast. Yeah. It would be to kind of think, well, can I make a similar beer that the locals will like and yeah. not alienate that's, them?
1: Yeah, but that, that's a temptation, and that's not something I will do or want to do. Yeah. Um, our gold nail is our, and look, it is our biggest seller uh, because we do have a couple of venues that go through a lot of it. But it's our what I would call my entry level beer. But for a lot of people, it's still very fruity and probably a bit more bitter than they would expect. Um, It's probably more a summer-style beer than a gold nail. You know, at 4.6%, it's got a lot more appeal. And when people come in here and they say, what's your easiest drinking beer? Or what's your closest beer to Carlton Draft? Or, you know, Carlton Dry or something? I say, well, look, it's not anything like them, but our closest beer will be the gold nail. You know, it's dry and it's crisp and it's it's pretty easy to drink. But... um, it's still challenging. I mentioned before we had 20 blokes walk in. They'd obviously been drinking all afternoon. It was a it was a work function. They weren't drunk enough to not let them in, but they were pretty rowdy, and uh, we had some live music, so they were really getting excited about that. Anyway, they all come in. A lot of them said, oh, you know, where's your bourbon and coke, or where's your Carlton Draft, or where's your Carlton Dry? And, and when they all left, there was probably three or four pints that were either full or half full still on the table. So <laughs> it'd been it was probably too much of a challenge for them, but that's okay. Yeah, I yeah. think uh, I say it'll, it will find
0: its audience and yeah. find its niche. And yeah. again, the te- one of the temptations is to keep the t- till running is to have a, a carton tap or a, s- a mainstream yeah. tap, yeah. which you haven't got. Yeah, and we won't do. No. No. I think that is probably fairly brave in a respect, yeah. but you can kind of have confidence doing that because of the other venues in town now and yeah. that you know that people are going to make the effort to travel from Melbourne to here yeah. because Geelong is becoming a quality beer destination. Yeah, It's going to be interesting to see how the, the big guys play out, the big yeah. venues, when they see that there is a market and that your yeah. bar's full and there's, there's not. Yeah, well, Geelong, moves on. Geelong's
1: a very conservative town. It ha- it's, had, it's had its fair share of knocks as a town and uh, I think because of that, people are very conservative and, and very... Hesitant to try something new, um, uh, and and I think the, the publicans are a perfect example of that. So uh, they're there to make money to run a business, and that's fine. Uh, you know they don't care one way or another for for craft beer. Uh, my argument is you should be supporting local business because it's good for the town. But um, uh, they and look with little creatures being here, I think that has complicated things a little bit because they see that as a local business. So when they've got furfy. Little creatures, white rabbit on tap. Uh, they say, "Well, we've ticked the local box and we've ticked the craft beer box." So it's and it's hard to argue against that. Um, um, you know, as much as you try. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so look, you know, we're happy to, to, to chip away, and um, uh, we, you know, this is a small space. We don't need we don't need to be everything to everyone, and we don't need to have a hundred people in here a night. You know, um, you know, if we get. 30 or 40 people in here, it's a, it's a good night. So we don't need to cater for for everyone. We're quite happy to just carve a little niche. And, look, we'll eventually maybe... We've got a cider tap at the moment, um, uh, an independent Victorian cider from Harcourt. Um, if we don't sell enough cider, we might change that to a, a lager tap. But, again, it'll always be good quality lager, probably from the, the Lotus portfolio, um, you know, say, ballistic... Um, mm. Dirty word lager or something like that, which still has hop character, but it's a little bit more easy drinking. And if people come in and ask for a lager, which they do, uh, we can pour something out of the tap rather than out of a can. Yeah, it'll be
0: really interesting to see how it pans out and yeah. and for yourself as well. Um, interesting to see what sells, what's popular and, and yeah. what's not. So, yep. um, big journey in front of you. <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> it's, it's kind of daunting and exciting in yeah. Equal, yeah. Ama- equal measure. Yeah.
1: yeah. Choice five. It's not the best example of a, a Belgian style, but it was one. I remember the night I had this, uh, and it was down at a place called uh, Coffin Sally down in uh, Port Fairy, a great, um, a great little pizza place down there, uh, run by Pete who loves his craft beer, has a excellent craft beer list. He d- they don't have taps at the moment, but they do have a, a fantastic packaged beer list, and. Um, and I was down there one night um, traveling down selling beer along the coast, and uh, stayed there the night and and went through his beer list and finished the night with uh, um, uh, now i 'm not even sure if i'm pronouncing this right, but a delirium uh, tremens and I just thought, wow you know i hadn't really experienced much in the way of Belgian beers, but the all the the kind of um, the characters, the the you know the vanilla and the spice and and you know the 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 lovely kind of fruity characters that came out of that beer. It you know it made me more interested in Belgian style beers and and learning more about those, trying those, brewing some myself. Uh, and we recently travelled to Belgium as well, which um, you know was inspired by uh, interest in in Belgian style beers.
0: And this was in Port Fairy. Port Fairy, yeah, yeah. So which is way far out west down the yeah, um, ocean bit, roads.
1: Yeah, about, uh, what is it, about 20 minutes past Warnable. Yeah, kind yeah, of famous. Beautiful little its, town. Yeah, folk festival, I think, yeah, is it? Yeah, 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 probably the biggest folk festival in Australia. It's a beautiful little town and a um, uh, great part of the world. And, uh, yeah, just this little pizza place, a um, uh, little window that they make the pizzas in and a doorway leading out to the back. Uh, and it's a, it's a really great space, you know. It's something you would, wouldn't be out of place in Melbourne, but it's just in this little town, yeah. Yeah.
0: It's it's that's quite unusual, isn't it, to find a an amazing beer list?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a cracking it's, beer list, and he's always rotating and and bringing in new stuff. So he's always yeah, got his finger on the pulse. It's great.
0: That's uh, the first time I've heard of that place. So yeah. big shout out. Will uh, yeah. definitely worth to, another to p- p- Peter Coffin yeah. Sally.
1: yeah, if you're down in Port Ferry, go and check it out. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's
0: almost worth a trip now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So just uh, yeah, I guess that was just that experience. The beer can be just much more than. Uh, you know, molten hops. It can be, you know, it can be a whole range of things. You know, the spices character and um, you know that creamy kind of character. Some of those sweet Belgian beers have as well. Um, and again, I know that's not the, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a mass-produced beer in Belgium. But um, it was, yeah, it was, a, it was a really lovely um, experience at the end of a, a night of trying many different beers on the list. <laughs> You, you do have sometimes just have to get the heavy hitters out of the yeah, towards the end to absolutely. get some just taste. Just to finish things off, just to put a full stop on the night. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Actually, before we do your uh, last choice, you yep. will uh, tell us your snack to accompany these yep. beers and also something to drink the beers out of. Yep. Um, choice six.
1: So choice six, uh, this was a difficult one because there's probably a whole range of beers I could, I could put in here, but none that probably stand out. Above all the others, as a, as a real obvious choice, um, but I couldn't I couldn't finish off without um, mentioning sours and the popularity of sours. So uh, sours are really I mean they've been talked about and growing in popularity for, for popularity for I guess the last year and a half, two years, and and that doesn't seem like a long time, but it's a pretty long time in the craft beer industry at the moment with the way we rotate through. You know styles and interests and what's popular and what's not. Um, but uh, recently, so in the in the distribution business in Lotus, we typically would sell in a, in a month three times more IPA than anything else. Um, a couple of months ago, we nearly sold as many sours, and so sours are really catching up. So, uh, and you know that that's also dependent on our breweries producing good quality sales um, and releasing new products. But um, this one was... uh, It's one that was a Gab's beer, uh, I think it was two years ago, uh, from Merchant Brewing, who are Gypsy Brewers from Marrickville in Sydney. I think they're on a bit of a hiatus at the moment. But um, it was called Fruit Tingle. And I remember I was... I had it... I was drinking at the Gold Mines Hotel up in Bendigo and uh, I was still... Not really convinced about sours and, and kettle sours, this being a kettle sour, obviously. And um, But I wanted to keep giving them a go. I really wanted to, to, to figure out what the fuss was all about. And what I love about a sour in particular now is that it's a great... If you're drinking an IPA, it's a great way to sort of cleanse the palate, get a bit of a freshener in between, you know... Um, And this was the first one where I I thought, look, I'm going to give that a go. So I had it and I thought, that's really good. And it just, it was, I can't even remember what fruit was in it. It may have been blackcurrant or blackberry or um, it was something sort of purplish. But um, it, and it was a purplish colour, the beer, but it just had that really nice underlying fruit character to it. The fruit was, I think, a tartish kind of, some sort of berry that gave it, added to the tartness of the beer. Uh, and I just thought wow you know now I think that was the one that I got the style and from that moment on I've just yeah really loved it and um, really enjoy them it's not one I would you know I still love a you know a west coast IPA or a pale ale or but the the sours are a great way to a great freshener on a hot day or you know to break up cleanse the palate on a on a session of West Coast IPAs, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and
0: generally low percentage, and yeah. great with food, yeah, as well, yeah, like great absolutely. with a cheese board or something yeah. or a curry or something like that, yeah.
1: The and and they open up the style opens up so much variety into what you can do, what what ingredients you can put in them, um, colors. You know, some of the beers like, you know, we've got uh, say the Pinkening from uh, Little Bang Brewing in the fridge, and we pour that out, and people go, wow, you know, it's bright pink. Um, and people love that. It's a it's a great part of the beer experience where there's color as, as part of the you know added to the aroma and the and the flavor, uh, and the mouthfeel, and all these things all come together. And um, yeah, so there are, it's a style that um, is really really coming to the fore at the moment in popularity, and uh, it it's one that really opens it up, to, lends itself to the creativity that um, of the craft beer industry. Yeah.
0: Now tell us about. Um, how hard is it to open up a taproom in Geelong?
1: What obstacles have you had in your way? Um, I think, well, obviously the biggest obstacle in any small business is cash flow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, cash flow is king and, and uh, this is a pretty cash-intensive business. We don't have financial backing. We, we do, all, do it all over our own pocket. So, uh, you know, there's always... M- you know we spent a bit of money on the fit out and there's always more things that you, you're not aware of so um you know planning regulations building regulations there's always extra things added in to be honest planning was pretty good here it's in it's in right in the heart of town it's in the activity zone that they want this type of business um there's not a lot of residential around here so we didn't hit a lot of hurdles in, in that sense um but yeah we're just i think at the moment I'm just learning about the ebb and flow of people coming in and out of the place. So how much food we need to have here, how much beer we need to have here, how much staff I need. Last night, I mean, it's, and it's not the first time, but Murphy's Law is as soon as you send a staff member home, because it's quiet, you get, you get smashed. And that's what happened last night. As soon as I sent uh, Naya home and said, look, it's and it's down, you might as well go home early. 20 blokes walking, you know, and then 10, <laughs> 10 people behind that. And it's just like, my God, for the rest of the night, I was just completely smashed. So, you know, they're, they're um, not so much hurdles, they're just um, opportunities to learn. That's grow. a nice way of yeah. putting it, yeah. yeah.
0: I'd, I'd, probably my uh, cynicism asking the question, what's the hardest thing about I should have yeah. what's the easiest thing about opening? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I guess,
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. The easiest thing is probably just uh, a sense of, of uh, achievement and yeah just satisfaction that we've a long held dream has come through, and people enjoy being here you know
0: yeah there it's a lot of pride. like I it's a question that I will ask about the emotion is about pride yeah like, do you feel you f- must feel really proud looking around this room yeah. and then when it's busy yeah, oh, yeah. You, you might I be working a- hard but yeah, yeah you take a moment to say, yeah. wow, this is
1: I had a moment actually um probably. I don't know, I don't know if it was opening night or a couple of nights in, it might have been a couple of nights in anyway, um, I was behind the bar and my wife was sitting down on the couch and my daughter was playing, my daughter's a singer-songwriter and she's played. she plays a few times here and and the place was busy and everyone was in a good mood and having a good time and I just had a moment, I stood back and I went, wow, I said, how did, how did we do this? So I went over and just sat next to my wife and I said, H- you know, how did we get here? <laughs> like, Suddenly we're here, and and this is amazing, and it just—it was a really good feeling that we've achieved something um, that people love, and you sort of think, how did how did I manage, or how how did I deserve to be in this position to uh, to own something this good? You know, <laughs> so it is—it's—it's it's, it's hard to place yourself into that environment uh, after the fact, because there's a lot of hard work leading up to it, so you don't really think about it you know, and you don't know how it's going to come out. Like, you you have a bit of a... You, like, we, we had an idea of the the vibe we wanted. We had an idea of, um, you know, the space we wanted to create. We obviously had different ideas with the old retro lamps and the old furniture and a nice big wooden bar in the middle, but we had no idea how that would all come together. And so it's really satisfying that it's come together really well and the people really respond well to it. Um, and that, you know, we're getting people coming back regularly and and um, yeah so it's, we've got to be doing something right so if I came back this
0: time next year what yep. what would you say what measures have you got to say that you were successful probably apart from great cash flow yeah <laughs> and profit
1: uh, uh, well look I don't want to preempt but we'd love to do we'd love to replicate this so um, somewhere else so uh, watch this space but yeah, if we if we get it right then it's something we could repl- replicate somewhere else um in another town. So yeah, so that would be a measure of success somewhere where we can I can actually have a day off. <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> and have staff that um I can trust to to open and close and to continue and to give people the same experience um to know enough about the beers to have that conversation. Um yeah, so that's another measure of success, I think, that we'd be looking towards.
0: And getting staff uh, is tricky because you've got to have them not only to be great bar staff and no, but they've got to have knowledge about the beer and yeah. be able to engage. Definitely. Not only the an expert customer walking through the door who's visited purposely to consume, you know, avant-garde complex beers, but also the 20 blokes who are on the Christmas do to, yeah you know. Yeah, yeah. it's hard, isn't
1: it? Yeah, to make, make them feel welcome, to be able to have a conversation with them. One of the biggest things, I think, um, one of the biggest challenges being able to have a conversation with, pe- with anyone, any walk of life. And I think, you know, spending some time in real estate has definitely taught me how to do that because um, I'm not necessarily a great conversationalist in a social setting, but being in real estate forces you to do that. You need to, you have to walk into any home with any style of any type of person from any walk of life and be able to sit down and have a conversation with them and make them feel like uh you understand where they're coming from and so on so um that is a re- that's a really tough skill to have and that's probably one of the biggest challenge to find stuff i would prefer that in a person than to be a, you know a craft beer expert because i think you can teach the craft beer knowledge um, you may not be able to teach the crafty passion but you can certainly teach the knowledge um, whereas it's very difficult to teach people how to comfortably have a conversation with anyone from any walk of life you know yeah absolutely yeah. so snack to go with these beers. Well, uh i'd be uh i'd be silly not to say jaffles so we serve jaffles at the bar that's our food we've got four jaffle styles they're all vegetarian because um uh we're vegetarian and my wife said i'm not cooking i'm not cooking meat so she does the food preparation here i think you're the uh,
0: third guest who's vegetarian
1: yes which is great yeah, yeah. because yeah well. yeah yeah
0: which is one of the reasons why vegetarians drink craft
1: beer yeah yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely so it's a bit like uh it's funny it's a bit like um it's a bit like Scots and ex-graphic designers in, uh, in craft beer. I don't know if you've realised, there's a lot of Scots working in the craft beer industry. I don't know what that's all about. but <laughs> Yeah, uh, Scottish
0: yeah. people and alcohol, are you suggesting there's a no, link? No, no, not Scottish people. People <laughs> oh, called Scots. <laughs> <laughs> I know
1: at least three others in, in, Vic- in Melbourne. There, there so, is. I think... Victoria. Do you
0: think it's... Um, I mean, there's a lot of Scots in the UK who are... Um, you know, it, it's called the Neighbours Effect. You're right. Scott and Charlene. Yeah. Carly uh, and Jason. Although
1: that, I was, that wouldn't have been because his... I'm older than that. But. Yeah, but,
0: but, yeah, but Scott would have been called Scott and Neighbours because <laughs> yeah, it would have been fashionable at people. the time. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, it was
1: a, probably an American influence because it was a fairly American popular American name.
0: Wow. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I guess probably the people who I know... Who are called Scott in this industry probably are around my age too. So yeah, you're probably right.
0: Are you ever uh, contemplating a you know a, a stage name for for brewery? <laughs> no, no,
1: no, no stage names for me. <laughs> so yeah, Jaffles, So I do love uh, I do love onion rings, um, but uh, Jaffels. Yeah, that's why we chose. We're just a really nice simple snack, um, um, and yeah, soaks up some beer. and allows yeah. you to have another pint or two yeah absolutely <laughs> and uh yeah just comforting yeah, warm nice absolutely. yeah crunchy Simple. yep absolutely yep. reminds me of Sunday nights when I was a kid yeah yeah,
0: yeah.
1: and um something to drink these beers ourselves yeah so I, I think um I, I think a tulip's just a really good all round glass um you know, you could try and have. You know, what's really interesting traveling in Europe and and particularly Belgium, but uh, is that every single beer, every single beer has its own branded beer glass. You know, it's crazy. The glass manufacturers in the, in that country and in Europe must just be the richest people in the universe. <laughs> so every single glass has its own beer. But I, I you are, know, we, we can't manage that. We've got straight edge um, pints and schooners here, and we serve um, glasses, or, or some people call them ponies, but I they're glass. The, the uh, 9-inch glasses as opposed to pots. But um, I think if you had one glass at home, a tulip's the go because it just seems to match every style
0: absolutely yeah well um where can people find you uh, well actually we should say where can they physically find you i was going to say where can they find you online and things but they can come and physically well i'm here you. i'm
1: here every day <laughs> but monday so uh, <laughs> um so 12 uh, 12 to 14 union street in geelong uh, which is in the center of town it's it's about five minute walk around from the little mellop street precinct which is um uh which is really the the kind of the hub of Geelong now uh, in in regards to cafes and restaurants and and uh, Blackmans Brew Bars there and Big Ears and so on are, are there now so um, and um, just up from the mall um, so yeah it's it's a good spot twelve to fourteen Union Street uh, from two o'clock every day except Monday and twelve o'clock on Sundays and yeah. when people come in they can come meet you talk talk about the beers yeah they can go through our vinyl collection if they want to choose a, an album so we we play vinyl rather than Spotify playlists here so. Uh, we rotate that so they can go through the vinyl collection and choose an album if they want. We probably will have uh, bring-your-own vinyl nights at some point. I just kind of figure out how to make it work. Um, but yeah, just come in, have a beer. We've got uh, you know we've got a bit of a a simple but quality wine list and spirits list as well, so it's something for everyone. Um, obviously, we try and get them to drink beer first. <laughs> if we can't quite manage that, then we've got some other options. But yeah, well that sounds great. And people can follow you online on. You, what, you, uh, are so, you? at Brew on Facebook, uh, at Brew on Instagram, not on Twitter. It's too, too time-consuming Twitter. <laughs> so, Facebook and Instagram, at Brew.
0: Yeah, yeah excellent. Well, Scott, another Scott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for talking us through your six beers. It changed everything. No I really hope that you don't get bored with craft beer. <laughs> no, no, there's plenty to do yet. Plenty to do. Keep and, um, yeah... <laughs> People should definitely come down to the tap room. It's it's a really nice place just to be Thank and you. relax. So, yeah. um, and I didn't know about your vinyl collection, so yeah. that's maybe we'll uh, put a vinyl on and yeah. have, have, have a little a beard, dance around. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Scott. Right. Thanks, Ian. So that was it, Scott Hunt from Valhalla Brewing. It's a great bar It almost shows the maturity of the scene now the way you're getting a dedicated craft beer bar which looks like Valhalla does it, it's a fantastic place it's really kind of calm and relaxing place to spend a few hours and certainly try some amazing beers that they had on tap they had kind of the top of the list was all Valhalla and then a few amazing treats in the in the bottom of the list uh so definitely worth the journey and they also had something close to 40 packaged beers as well in the fridges so certainly something for everybody and it's only about 10 minute walk from the station as well so it's more sign that geelong is becoming a more and more a, a very worthy craft beer destination in its own right so thanks to scott for being on the episode talking through the six beers that changed everything if you are still listening to this bit, I'm going to give you a little treat because I imagine a lot of people phase out or stop the podcast as soon as the guest is over. But those of you who are stuck with me here, I always try to keep these things as short as possible. I'm going to tell you who the next guest for February is, and it's Steve Hendo Henderson. It is a wonderful, wonderful episode. We talk for quite a while and the topics on beer quality, maintenance, marketing, the science behind brewing. There's so many topics covered in this one. Hendo even managed to squeeze in his six beers as well. Make sure you subscribe so on any platform you just get that one delivered to you without having to do anything. If there's any platforms that you've tried to get the chosen brew and you can't Please let me know, drop me a line. If you want to get in touch and tell me what your favorite episode is or a poten- potential guest that you'd like to have on, then you can do that as well. Uh, the best ways to drop me a line. Probably Instagram is the most popular, The Chosen Brew or Twitter, Facebook. Or you can send me an email, uh, thechosenbrewau at gmail.com or via the website, thechosenbrewau.com and just send us um, something through the Contact Us page. That would be much appreciated and certainly you can let me know about any guests that you'd like on this year. But I think you'll agree that was a great episode to start off 2019 and it's only going to get more exciting as we go on. So until we chat next time, thanks so much for listening. Really appreciate it. And we'll speak very soon. Ta-ra.